My name is Scott Challoner and this is the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bleak and cool winter morning here in the capital, but I'm delighted to say that joining me on today's show to hopefully add a little bit of warmth and brightness to affairs is Malcolm Davidson, Mortgage Broker and Managing Director at UK Moneyman Limited. Uh, Malcolm, welcome to the show this morning and thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome, Scott. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. A pleasure for me as well, Malcolm, um, and thanks for joining us. Um, so you've been around as a business since 2009 or so, and you're a mortgage advisor and broker, essentially, I believe I'm right in saying, just to establish a bit of background for those that might not have heard of you. Yeah, that, that's right, exactly. So um, so my wife and I are the, um, are the managing directors uh, here, so it's always been a, a family business. Um, but my, my months of experience in the industry is much longer than that. So um, mm. I've been working in mortgages now for... 25 years, so I've, I've certainly seen the, the peaks and troughs of the of the property market, and uh, obviously the impact of, of regulation at certain points as well. So I can imagine all of that experience in the market has really sort of helped you when it came to establishing your own business. Uh, but what was it that sort of made the decision for you that going alone was going to be the way, as it were? Well, I think originally I didn't even realise you could be self-employed uh, in the, in this line of work. So. Um, no one really leaves school um, aspiring to be a mortgage advisor or perhaps even working in financial services. So like a lot of, lot of industries, it's something you kind of lapse into not knowing quite what you want to do uh, when you're younger. Um, however, um, once I, I did find my niche, I kind of made it my business to, to start to get to know that subject inside. Now, I remember the first um, customer that I ever saw and um the, the interview with him didn't go very well. Mm. Um, in fact, uh, despite the fact that I was the, the one who was the advisor and had the qualification, um, I got the distinct impression he knew more about the about mortgages than I did. And it was really awkward for me. So um, I made it my business from that day on to think, well, I don't ever want that situation kind of ever to uh, to happen so again. So, um, so I got to know my subject uh, inside and out. And I just became determined really um, to be the best I possibly could. Um, and I think, you know, all these years uh, have passed sort of since that first experience. Um, I like to think that it, that knowledge and experience resonates through when I'm speaking to new customers that they've got, at least got a vague idea of, um, of, of what, I'm, what I'm doing now. Uh, so in terms of, you know, why self-employed, um, I suppose it was taking control of, of, of my own destiny and taking control of, of, the, of the process. Once I got that experience um, under my belt, um, I thought I could make a, a good stab at that and obviously control uh, working hours and, and those type of things. Of course, uh, when you get into the uh, actual nuts and bolts of the job, you realise or you quickly realise that the owner of the business actually ends up working significantly more hours than the people that it employs, of course. It's incredible, isn't it? And um, I've spoken to sort of a lot of people on this uh, program uh, who have sort of grown their businesses uh, from being sort of one man bands to sort of much more sort of developed entities. And I can imagine for yourself as well, it must have been a similarly large challenge scaling up from being a sole trader to the business that you are now, because a lot of aspiring business leaders, they cite letting go of responsibility and sort of taking on that more strategic role as sort of one of the biggest challenges. Um, what would you say sort of the biggest challenge for you was in sort of growing the business to where you are today? Well, the, the honest answer is that when uh, Amy and I started the business, we, we didn't intend to grow it at all. Mm. Um, so I'd been involved in a previous business uh, that fell victim of the, of the credit crunch. And 
And it was a case of, uh, in 2009, batting down the hatches, just going back on the tools and speaking to customers, and we converted the garage. So it's just the two of us uh, working from home uh, on day one. So there were no aspirations uh, to grow a business. In fact, um, we had our first child in 2008 and second one in 2010. So it was a... it was a good time to, to be at home because the, the children were, were very young, were babies. Um, so I was around for all those kind of magical moments in mm. terms of first words and first steps and first sort of day at nursery school. So um, it was really quiet for us going through those first um, few years. Uh, but as the, build, the business started to, to build, because um, my wife Amy built some, some websites, um, which were generating uh, activity. It just got to the point where uh, in 2014, we had a, a bit of a pivotal moment um, because in 2014, there was a bit of regulation that came out called the Mortgage Market Review, and that's where the FCA regulator was looking into mm. uh, what went wrong in, in the credit crunch and how it could be avoided. And uh, the result of that um, study that they did really promoted mortgage advice. So up until that point, customers could opt out of taking advice or banks could push those services. So in, in 2014, um, it went from the sublime to, to the ridiculous. So we were just nicely busy starting to make a profit and all of a sudden the phone wouldn't stop ringing. So we had a decision to make. Do we stick to the plan and carry on working from home profitably or do we try and service this demand uh, by, by growing a business? And that was a real dilemma for us at that point in time because um, the lifestyle was was nice, the customers were happy with the service that they were, that they were receiving, um, but we, we were becoming too busy to actually cope with the demand. And um, having sort of been there and successfully been able to grow from that point, um, what would you say is the biggest piece of advice you'd give to a young entrepreneur that's looking to start out at the moment? Well, I would bring it back to that, that first customer that I ever spoke to mm. um, who who I felt perhaps w- was as knowledgeable as, as I was about my sector. So I would say uh, before you start getting aspirations about growing a business or employing staff or uh, becoming the next, next Mark Zuckerberg, I would, I would find your subject, I would find your niche, I would find your passion, and I would make your business to, to know, know everything about that particular subject first, become the expert, become the pe- the person that people turn to um, when looking for an expert area, um, an expert in that particular sector that you've, mm. that you've chosen. And once you know it inside out and you're bringing value um, to other businesses or, or to consumers, um, then that would be the time to start looking to grow the business because people uh, will be reaching out for your expertise and help and advice and you can turn that into cash. Exactly right. And I suppose working in mortgages at the moment, a lot of people are seeking out that expertise because house prices, of course, have shot up very quickly again during the COVID-19 pandemic with the stamp duty holiday and extension really stimulating the housing market. And that sort of throws up some real issues for first-time buyers, doesn't it? The prices are sort of skyrocketing even further. Absolutely. So when I started out in mortgages back in the, in the 90s, we would regularly see um, first-time buyers, single applicants in their early 20s buying homes because it was affordable to mm-hmm. do so. Uh, and almost always now, it's two applicants uh, because we need those two salaries to justify um, the higher property prices. So we had a 10% rise in property 
values last year, um, and it looks like prices are going to continue to increase uh, this year in 2022, despite some of the cooling factors in the economy. Um, wages have just not risen anywhere near in line with property prices, and mm. uh, we consistently miss our ha- housing targets. So, unfortunately, uh, no government over the last 20 or 30 years has really taken ownership of this uh, housing situation. Uh, and the situation at the moment is probably as bad as it's ever been in terms of supply and demand. Mm. According to, to Right Move, there are currently 19 registered applicants for every one house that's for sale. So we're regularly seeing now um, asking prices, uh, offers going uh, above asking prices. I had a client only last week where his offer accepted at 11 in the morning. We instructed the solicitor at 10 past 11 and by 2 o'clock in the afternoon he'd been gazumped and outbid. Um, so it's getting to a bit of an extreme now uh, where, like I said, if there weren't these cooling factors in the economy, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw another 10% rise in uh, values this year uh, just to the sheer weight of this um, of this demand. And, and at the end of the day, these customers aren't going to forget to buy a house. They've got the deposit saved up. The bank's in a position to lend. There's just a chronic um, stock shortage right now. And that's the major problem, isn't it? Because we have seen some sort of ripples in the market, which seem to be a step in the right direction. The likes of, say, Habito coming to market, offering long-term ultra-low fixed-rate mortgages at a repayment period of up to 40 years. And then over and above that, um, other lenders are now entering the market who, like them, can also lend up to seven times a person's salary. So positive steps in that sense from sort of the, uh, the lending side, but the demand is still sort of the major problem, isn't it? Yeah, these are just bits tickling around the outside of, of, the, of the major problem here. Mm. Um, and and if you're looking at if you're a potential home seller looking to move up the property ladder at the moment, you've probably got an estate agent to come around and that told you that your house is probably worth you know a few thousand pounds more than what you thought it was. They're going to be very bullish with you and say, "Look, Scott, you know your house is lovely. We've got a list of potential buyers mm. as long as our arm." Um, We'll sell it within a few days. So the seller in that situation goes on right move or Zupa to see what's out there. And guess what? They find nothing. There's nothing suitable for them to make that upward move up, up the ladder. So they wait. They do not put their property on the market until something suitable comes up for themselves. So you mm. can imagine if you've got thousands of people around the country coming to this same conclusion, then unfortunately... Nothing comes to the market, and this um, and the pent up demand continues to grow and grow and, and snowball to a situation where we've got now where you've got multiple offers going in and people getting disappointed when they're outbid. Exactly that. It's a very very difficult situation out there for first time buyers and sort of the buyers market in general, isn't it? And it's going to be very interesting to see how that develops. Um, obviously, we referenced the uh, the COVID pandemic just starting that conversation there, uh, Malcolm. So I think it would be remiss as if we didn't sort of touch on that in a bit more detail with regards to your business. Um, what have been some of the sort of main operational challenges that you've had to navigate over the last couple of years, uh, would you say? Okay, well, we were, we were very lucky, really, because we what we what this is all we've been run kind of face to face normally. Mm-hmm. So we would drive out to customers' homes and, and see them and, and give them advice. But then at the beginning of 2019, so a year before the pandemic, um, we decided to have a bit of an experiment by doing mortgages over the phone. Mm. Now, I, I, didn't, I wasn't particularly confident 
that this would work because we've always been a face-to-face model. So we took two advisors on at, at the beginning of that year um, just to see if they could prove me wrong. And by the end of 2019, 60% of our business was by phone. So we'd gone from 0% to 60%. So it was a, key, a clear motion of travel for us anyway that customers were preferring to do things over the phone with us because we could be more responsive, quicker, it was more convenient for them. So we drew out a business model at the beginning of 2020 to sort of to make this transition away from face-to-face and and doing everything remotely. We looked at the the personnel that we had, and to be honest, Scott, we we didn't take the decision that we should have made, Mm. which was to to flip to doing things on the phone because it would have meant kind of breaking the business. We didn't have the right organizations, the right uh, people, sorry, in the Mm. organization. We felt to make that transition, so we decided the sort of stickers we were, we were profitable. Um, it takes a, a, a really good businessman to break the business when it's successful, probably one that's better than me, but actually sometimes it needs doing. Um, now, of course, three short months later, we had it broken for us. Mm. We went into lockdown. So we had the blueprint ready for, for, um, for what we needed to do, which was to introduce some new technology, move away from the old face-to-face model, and into telephone and, of course, now uh, video mortgage advice. So um, it, you sometimes feel a little bit guilty because you've capitalized on uh, such a, an awful situation where mm. people have become very ill and many people have lost their lives as, as well. However, it was an opportunity for us to, to remodel and bring ourselves forward in terms of technology and the remodeling of ourselves so that our advisors now can speak to many more customers than they ever have been able to before, um, become more productive um, and move ourselves and protect ourselves as an organization in the future and come up with something a lot more modern. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, I know, of course, it is a time of real tragedy, as you mentioned there, but the business has to pivot, business has to continue, doesn't it? And it has to sort of capitalize on the opportunities that are going to be there. And I suppose it was a case of very... And, and, and yeah. I think capitalize is a word mm. um, that, that we could use. Um, but also, we've got 40 staff now. Mm. And, and my responsibility is, is to have some longevity in the business so that they've got jobs in the long term, even after I'm you know, retired and things like that. So, so yes, it, the, the company has to make a profit, but we also have to um, protect the future for the younger, the younger members of staff that we've got as well. Yeah, exactly right. And um, you've talked as well about how productivity was maintained, even though sort of that model sort of flipped over to doing everything uh, remotely. And I suppose that also has benefits for the work-life balance, doesn't it? And I suppose what demonstrates that better than anything was sort of going back to when you started out as a business and you were doing everything from home as a family. And you obviously get that family time um, as well. So it just goes to show that even though, of course, it has to come about out of necessity, there are some sort of personal benefits that can come to a more flexible working model, I suppose. That's right. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? Just sort of what we can learn from the uh, the pandemic. And I suppose um, the big lesson from your perspective is the fact that that blueprint that you had there that you decided maybe not to use initially, that was something that was actually really going to sort of work in the long term. And I can imagine perhaps you're now considering maybe sticking to this plan sort of moving forward over the next few months and years because even though, yeah, uh, do, do go on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's, um, 
Um, I've been asked that question a few times over the last few months in terms of do we intend to, to go back to the old um, face-to-face model? And the answer is no. Um, the customers prefer this way because they, they find it more convenient for themselves. Um, and uh, it obviously it's better for our carbon footprint as well. We're not driving mm. up and down the M1 across the M62 uh, to see customers um, and we can help more people so we've got no intention uh, of going back and and you know what Scott in terms of the, the property sector it's shown its resilience mm. time and time and time again over decades here that you'll never stop people in this country wanting to buy properties no matter what's happening and uh, when we put all the staff on furlough um, at the beginning of the, uh, of the, of the pandemic um, I was still getting involved talking to customers each day, um, and all of them wanted to continue with their purchases, almost bar none. Um, so it, it just goes to show that it would take a lot to stop people in this country wanting to become homeowners. Yeah, it's that. Well, it's one of those one industries, isn't it? That's just so so resilient, no matter what is thrown at it, as you say there, and uh, you say as well. You kept contact with the uh, the the, perspective, the customers, the prospective customers during the uh, the pandemic, and they were always willing to sort of keep uh, keep tabs on things. Um, was it easy as well, sort of keeping in contact with all of your sort of fellow staff members during those sort of early weeks of the pandemic, when maybe there was quite a lot of anxiety as well, and sort of managing that side of things. Yeah, it was a, it was a very uncertain time. Um, for them and for us, uh, because at the early points, we had no idea how long uh, we were going to be not at, at work for. Um, so we were getting everyone together, uh, same as everyone else on the Friday evening, uh, Zoom uh, quiz nights and things like that. Um, and we, we put out regular communication. So we've got um, technology that, to keep in touch with people. So um, I would be putting my thoughts out um, every week just to keep the team informed as to where I, where I thought things were uh, we're going to end up um, and of course we had a round of redundancies at that time as well so that's obviously um, a really a really difficult uncertain and challenging mm. time for, for people but um, you just got to be honest um, about the direction of the business uh, you know what's changed um, and uh, and what needs to be changed in the future as well um, and you also come to a realization Scott um, that when you're moving the, the, the transition in a business um, into um, a big technological leap forward, if there are some people in the organization that haven't got the appropriate skills and um, can't be trained uh, into those skills, it actually becomes cruel to keep them on, on the workforce. And that's something that probably only comes with leadership experience over a number of years. It's, it's terribly sad when a member of staff leaves the organization for one reason or another, especially when they're giving you some years of good service. But also it's not there on them um, if they're going to be uh, unfulfilled uh, in the future role that uh, the business has got laid out for them. Mm. And I think that authenticity is one of the sort of hallmarks of great leadership that we've had to see during this time. It's authenticity and honesty when things are going badly and when you have to make those difficult decisions. Um, And then also on the other side of the coin, for those staff that are still on board and maybe sort of a little bit isolated at home, you're showing that consideration for their well-being, you're reaching out to them, you're constantly checking in. And I think when you show those sorts of traits, your staff reward you in productivity, as we've sort of touched on already, because when the chips are down, they're ultimately willing to go above and beyond for you, aren't they? I don't think there are any uh, business um, owners 
in 2020 that were were pleased with any of this, you know, mm. um, in, unless you're perhaps a, a face mask manufacturer. It was it was no, nobody wanted this, um, and certainly there were many sleepless nights. Um, people shouldn't be feeling sorry for me, but there were many sleepless nights while you're pondering over all these uncertainties, and you're always making decisions from incomplete data sets. So you know what you know, and it's sometimes um, best guess uh, on lots of mm. other things as well. But all I thought was I had um, 20 odd years in the industry. Uh, I'd seen through uh, a, a previous um, crisis in terms of the credit crunch and, and rebounded and, and, and grown a business for the, for the second time. And I just thought, well, if this has to be done, I'm glad it's me. I'm glad I've got the experience of a previous bad situation um, under my belt. Um, and I know what needs to be done and some decisions that need to be taken quickly. Um, and you'd like to think that the team sort of recognized that um, that I was the right person at the right time to, to sail the ship through these kind of un- uncharted territories and, and come out with something at the other end of it. And, and, that's where we, and that's where we are. Luckily for us, we were in a sector that the government did support. We, you know, we weren't in one of the, what the, the hospitality or tourism where they really struggled. Yeah. Um, we were one of the first sectors to, to come out of uh, a lockdown because, of course, property is such a wide multiplier for the overall economy and it, it does account for so much uh, GDP uh, and supports so many jobs as well from every, every bricklayer to every conveyancing lawyer and surveyor. Yeah, exactly right. And property was incredibly well supported. And um, it's a testament to the effort that obviously you've put in that you've obviously managed to steer the business through uh, these quite difficult times. And I think, as you mentioned there, that experience that you've had working in the industry for so long, having had maybe one business that didn't quite sort of work out during the uh, the financial crash and then sort of building up another one. Do you think that like when it comes to experience that sort of setbacks are almost part and parcel of being successful and it's those sort of kickbacks, what you learn from those that enables you to sort of push forward and succeed the next time a major challenge does come along. You do hear about that, Scott, quite a lot, don't you? Uh, mm. that, um, that some highly successful people have got to get their failures done sort of quite um, quite early on. Um, and it, it's painful when that happens to you um, and the financial losses um, can be great. I mentioned about the situation in, in 2014 where where the demand for the service was increasing and we had mm. that pivotal decision to make um, as to whether we would continue to work from home as a small business or, or try and grow something. And, and what actually happened at that point in time is we, we reached out to um, a business coach mm. called John Hassel and we qualified for um, some government funding at that time. In fact, I think it was EU funding. It was the Growth Accelerator Scheme. Um, and it was a, a £5,000 grant um, available for people who wanted to grow businesses. So that would be um, uh, take on staff or buy premises. And, and in our case, we were able to use that money to employ the services of a business coach for six months to grow, uh, to, to plan for some growth and recruitment at how we were going to actually, how we we're going to actually do it. Now, at that point in time, £5,000 would have been quite a big investment for us. Mm-hmm. And I often think back to that particular moment and think, if we hadn't qualified for that support, would we have, been, would we have found the £5,000 to pay for that service? Um, but when you look back at it now in terms of how much 
national insurance, income tax and corporation tax that uh, that £5,000 has generated. Mm. It must have paid, paid itself back thousands of, uh, thousands of times. So that's another way that I think um, you, you know the government can 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 help and, and put the faith in entrepreneurs because um, sometimes they just need a little bit of a boost and a little bit of advice in the early days, and 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 you can grow something quite special. Exactly, and UK Money Man, of course, is a fantastic case in point, and hopefully we do continue to see that as well. The government backing young entrepreneurs and backing business to grow and be successful. And having talked about sort of your business journey so far and even how something like the pandemic hasn't been able to stop you in your tracks, Malcolm, um, let's talk about the uh, the future of the business just before we wrap things up on the uh, the show today. Um, we're into this sort of new year now, 2022, well into January. Um, hopefully, we're also coming out of the acute phase of the pandemic as well to boot. So what are, your, some of, what are some of your ambitions for this year and where do you really see yourselves by sort of this time next year? Yeah, so so 2020 for us, like every business, was, was a year of survival, mm. um, and 2021 was a year really of recruiting and training. Um, so um, I, I know it can be difficult for employers to um, find staff, but, but we found when we were bringing people into the business um, in 2021 um, that we found it not too difficult. Luckily, um, our reputation. Um, locally in Hull, where we're based, it is very strong. So we, we've we've got we've now entered 2022 with the strongest team of people that we've ever had. A, a team that's growing all the time uh, in experience and uh, delivering a five star service to our uh, customers. So we started 2022 ready. We're ready for growth. Um, we've never spoken to so many customers, first time buyers, and home movers wanting to to do things. Um, so, uh, so I think the, the future is very good. We've trained some people um, and helped people get qualified from administrative roles into advisor roles, and that's given us some great satisfaction to help cultivate and generate the next set of mortgage advisors that allow the business to continue way into the future. And the only challenge on the horizon for me is the, the lack of properties out there. Mm. I'm not quite sure how that one's going to be fixed overnight because we've not really had a national program of, of house building probably since after the second world war uh, and it's a problem that does need addressing but it's a long-term fix uh, and a lot of the things these days in politics tend to be the, for the shorter term so i'd love to see that debate um opened up and someone finally starting to take ownership of this national house building uh, program that desperately needs to happen that is if we want the country to be to continue to be a country of homeowners. And let us hope so, because business is certainly holding up its side of the bargain and we now need government to take ownership of that and really start to address that real sort of supply problem, as you say. And I think as we start to see how the situation begins to unfold over the next uh, few months, uh, Malcolm, just given how enlightening it's been having you join us on the show today, I'd actually love to sort of look at what we've said retrospectively and even welcome you back onto the programme in future, perhaps, just to sort of catch up on how the situation is developing and just see how things at the business are getting on as well. Anytime, Scott. I've enjoyed it, and uh, thank you so much for the invite. I've thoroughly enjoyed it as well, Malcolm. Um, do take care and do stay safe with everything that's still going on as well, and it's been a real pleasure having you join us. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Scott. 
And to all of our listeners tuning in today as well, I do hope that you all thoroughly enjoyed the interview with Malcolm Davidson from UK Moneyman Limited just as much as I. And if you are tuning in as a entrepreneur yourself and feel that you might have your own story of success and of innovation to share from the last two years and beyond, then why don't you also apply to be on the programme via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply because we certainly would love to hear your story as well. Um, Until next time to all of our regular listeners, please do take care and goodbye.